Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Check. One, two, three, four. Check, check, check. One, check. One, two, three, four. Check. Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me in the betters box. This is ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Thursday, May 20th. I'm your host, Adam Burke. First at the top of today's show, my apologies. I forgot to send out the notes from Monday's show. Uh, was out of town my last full day in Vegas. Had a lot of stuff going on. So I will package those notes with today's email. Obviously, you'll want to consider some adjustments now that we're a few days past the show. But I did want to start by apologizing for not getting those notes out from that Monday show. And also remind you, if you're a new listener or an existing listener here of the Betters Box, you can subscribe to the show notes by emailing me skatingtripods at gmail.com. It's a breakdown of everything that I'm talking about on the show here. So you can either follow along while listening to the show or just sort of go back through, kind of review and recap the show. Whatever it is you want to do with those notes, skatingtripods at gmail.com, the way to get on board for those. Make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Lots of bells and whistles, helpful handicapping resources, a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database. You can buy a premium model subscription if you desire. Lots of things going on in that ATS app for you to check out. Also, my daily article back over at ATS.io. Once again, being out of town, it was a bachelor party. I figured I'd be out late, hungover in the morning. It would be very difficult to put in the time, the effort, the due diligence that it takes to write the article So just decided to bypass that for the week, but it is back off to a nice return yesterday. Hopefully that continues here today. And with that ATS app, that's where you can see my picks tracked exclusively there. Been a tough season. Hopefully things are going to turn around here a little bit now that we've got some good sample size. Also over at the website, I've got a preview up for, well, the uh, NASCAR race this weekend, the Echo Park, Texas Grand Prix. We've got WNBA coverage now from Alan Moody. Stuff on the NBA and NHL playoffs. I'll have a UFC preview probably tomorrow at this point in time. Uh, So that'll be up over there at the website as well. I do golf previews. We do a lot of stuff at ATS.io. So make sure you check it all out. All right, regular format here for this Thursday edition of the podcast. We'll start with a look beyond the box score, run through a sabermetric stat of the show, talk about some line moves during the down the line segment, a pick for Thursday night's action, and then a preview of a few select series here for this weekend so let's go ahead and start with a look beyond the box score and you know something that I've been doing pretty much on a weekly basis here basically over the last two and a half three years on the show is take a look at what's going on with that hard contact because as you know contact management such an important part of my handicap which pitchers allow it which pitchers don't where are the numbers sitting right now both league-wide and also with some of the individual teams So the batting average on batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour is up to 485 with a 610 weighted on base average, WOBA, W-O-B-A. 485 is up three points from where we've been recently. I think the last time I updated this, was probably about two weeks ago. So we are up three points here 
on batting average on 95 plus mile per hour batted balls, which when you look at hard hit percentage, that's batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour. So we have had some weather factors that are likely in play. It has warmed up. It's gotten a little bit more humid. You know, we've had some more optimal conditions for hitting the baseball. But with that being said, a three-point increase at this point in time with the sample size that we've got right now, that is a very significant, very large increase, I would say. So it does look like offense is picking up a little bit on batted balls. I talked about this on uh, one of last week's shows where the strikeout rate is down a pretty decent amount here for the month of May. So more balls in play, better fortunes on high-velocity batted balls. And we're seeing this kind of take place out there in the betting markets where we used to see every game kind of bet down a half a run. Now we're seeing every game bet up a half a run or just set a half a run higher. So the markets have taken notice of the increased offensive production across the league here in the month of May. So if it is a game that you are interested in possibly playing an over with, make sure you scope out those overnight lines. You know, if you see a seven and a half that you like the over with, it's probably going to get to eight. If you see an eight where you like the over, it's probably going to get to eight and a half. So very important to take a look at those overnight lines. If you get the opportunity, if you think it's going to be a game where you're going to have some interest in the over, as we look at some of the outliers here, and remember, I'm looking at the most extreme of the outliers because the, ex- the most extreme outliers will generally see regression to the highest degree. So as you look at teams that have done really well on high-velocity contact here, the Red Sox, a 529 batting average, the Reds, 522, Phillies, 520, Rockies, 516, Angels and Diamondbacks at 506. And something I think is really important to point out here is that the highest team, the Red Sox, 47 points above the league average. So that's a pretty big difference. You'll usually get maybe one or two teams that fall into that big of an outlier range. And it looks like the Red Sox and possibly the Reds will be those teams for right now. But I wouldn't expect them to go a whole lot higher. So they'll either kind of stay at that level or drop off a little bit. And the flip side here, when we look at the Indians who are at the bottom at 426, that's a much bigger difference. That's 56 points off of the league average. Usually what happens here is we see the bottom come up a little bit quicker than the top coming down. So a team like the Indians should get better in this department. The Padres at 435, the Mets at 449, the Braves at 454, and the Royals at 456. Now when it comes to 100 mile per hour plus batted balls, 582 is the batting average. So that's up a little bit here as well. 766, the weighted on base average, also up a bit. But again, overall, High velocity contact not yielding nearly the same results as what we've seen in previous seasons. So this is just the new normal that we have to deal with here in 2021. On the high side, you get the Giants at 649. Remember, 582, the league average here. Rays, 635. Reds, 630. Red Sox, 628. Cardinals and the Phillies at 614. Indians at the bottom, once again, 524. 58 points off of the league average. Padres, once again, 29th in this department, 534. Royals, 540. Mets, 541. And the Braves, 550. So you've got some pretty talented offenses here that have not had good success on their high-velocity batted balls. 
The Indians are not one of them, but the Padres, the Mets, the Braves, those are three teams I would absolutely expect positive regression from offensively and very soon for those three teams. The Indians and the Royals will also improve, albeit to probably a lesser degree. But when you look at a team like the Padres, for example, here, they're third in the raw number of batted balls hit at least 100 miles per hour, but they are 29th in batting average and 30th in WOBA, weighted on base average. So the Padres are making a lot of very high-velocity contact, but not having any success on it whatsoever. So teams that you want to keep in mind here, play on teams, Padres, Mets, Braves, play on those offenses because they will have better fortunes here on their high-velocity batted balls. And in particular, a team like the Braves, where you know once it gets hot in Atlanta, that park plays a hell of a lot different. So those three teams, to me, all very much play on teams. For the most part, you know, we're seeing some pretty high lines on both the Padres and the Braves. So maybe we won't get a ton of line equity. But at the same time, those are two offenses that I would absolutely expect to get better here very, very soon. Extremely soon. Because again, you know, we're talking about sample sizes that are subject to some variance here because they're not overly big in terms of high velocity contact, but they will get better. They're too talented. They're too good. They're hitting too many high velocity batted balls. So they should get a lot better here as we go forward. Something to consider here, just in general, you know, as we get another no hitter last night down in the ballpark in Arlington or Globe Life Field down in Arlington, Texas. So far, we've seen four no-hitters. Two of them have been in Seattle, and two of them have been in Texas. So retractable roof ballparks all have humidors now. That was one of the changes coming into this season. There were five ballparks that added a humidor. Some of the retractable roof stadiums were among that group. St. Louis also among that group. But it's very important to keep the ballpark under consideration. Yes, you want to look at the starters. Yes, you want to look at the lineups. But you also want to consider the park factor. And these are widely known. These are things that are built into the totals and stuff like that. But you've got to think about it in the context of, you know, if you've got an extreme fly ball pitcher in St. Louis or Miami or Texas, something like that, where if that guy's home ballpark is not very conducive to being a fly ball guy, but that road ballpark is, that's not going to be factored into the price. That's not going to be adjusted really into that game projection. Will the total be adjusted? Yes. Will the side be adjusted? In most cases, probably not. So make sure you're factoring in the the ballpark and how that park will play. A lot of that is just very common knowledge. We know which ballparks are good for hitting. We know which ballparks are good for pitching. It's not hard to look those things up if you're unsure. But just keep that in mind where park factors will adjust totals, but maybe not have as much of an impact on sides. So especially if you've got batted ball distributions that are pretty extreme one way or the other, there are pitchers that can thrive in certain environments that won't thrive in a lot of others and vice versa. So definitely make sure you're keeping the park in mind here. And I will say, you know, I kind of grouped this in with some of the outliers, some of the teams that should get better offensively. None of those parks really concern me all that much. Petco's played a lot different now that the Padres have gotten better and they moved the fences in. Uh, City Field, where the Mets play, it can be tough out there in Queens. It can be a challenging hitting environment, but it's not that bad. And of course, SunTrust Park, where the Braves play, 
as it warms up should get really good. But keep the park factors in mind and also keep in mind the Padres, the Mets, and the Braves offenses. So we've actually reached the quarter pole here already of the 2021 Major League Baseball season. So I want to give you just some general observations here. Some teams I think have been better than I expected and some teams I think have been worse than I expected. And just running through these by division here, Boston has been a lot better than I expected. Now, I certainly thought this team would hit. The offensive performance doesn't really surprise me that much. However, this pitching staff, they're fourth in F4, which is Fangraphs' calculation of war, wins above replacement player. They are second in FIP. Now, this is not something that I would have expected at all whatsoever. But what the Red Sox are doing is extremely smart here. So when you look around Major League Baseball, a lot of teams are trying to hit home runs. You know, they're trying to increase their launch angles, trying to drive the baseball more, get around and pull the baseball more to those high slugging percentage areas. But what we're not seeing as much of is a focus on home run prevention. Yes, we're seeing pitchers throw different pitches, throwing fewer fastballs, more breaking balls, trying to induce softer contact, stuff like that. But whatever Boston has done here, they have had a serious focus on home run prevention. And Fenway Park is not a big venue. You know, I know they got the big wall out there with the green monster, but the pesky pole, very shallow, very short fence, all the way from basically just right of center out to the foul pole. It's a pretty good park for hitting overall. But Boston on the season here, a 9.2% home run per fly ball percentage. That's the second lowest in the league and the best in the American League since 2013. Now, yes, the baseball is playing different. That certainly plays a role. But Boston has basically gone all in on home run prevention. And it has worked out extremely well for them here so far. Their bullpen is fourth in F4 as a unit, fifth in FIP. Here's the thing. This is not a very talented pitching staff, in my opinion. I love Eduardo Rodriguez. Nate Uvalde shows flashes, but I was not a Nick Pavetta guy coming into the season. I was very much not a Martin Perez guy coming into the season. But the Red Sox don't really have any grand statistical outliers that suggest to me that this won't continue. You know, they don't really have the talent, I don't think, but there's nothing in the statistical profile that suggests to me that this is completely out of whack, that this is completely out of proportion for them. So they've far exceeded my expectations, but they're not giving up home runs. And that's a big deal nowadays. You know, they're not a great defensive team either, but they're not giving up home runs. You know, you, it's very hard to string together hits and score runs in the current baseball environment. So what Boston's done has actually been quite brilliant and they've been able to overachieve in a lot of ways as a result. So while I do think this will drop off because they have played one of the weakest strength of schedules in major league baseball so far, they played Baltimore a lot, Seattle, Texas, some other bad teams. They really haven't run into too many good teams yet. I do think that this will drop off and they will face teams that hit for more power. So that will be part of the drop off. But for right now, What they've done has certainly worked, and I give them all the credit in the world for that. The Detroit Tigers are a bit better than I expected, and this is only recently where they've won, I think, 9 of 13 or something like that. Uh, Their offense has gotten a lot better. I still think they're a bad team. However, with more of a focus on analytics, 
and A.J. Hinch there as the manager, I guess it's not super surprising that Detroit would kind of make some strides in season. Again, I still think that they're going to be a very bad team, but what's happening right now is kind of the natural progression of kind of going more all in with analytics. You know, I knew somebody a a few years ago who was in the Tigers analytics department and he marveled at just how small it was, you know, at how coming from, you know, you look at the Indians, for example, it's a huge analytics department, the twins, same thing, but the Tigers had a very small group. So I would assume that they've made some strides and some new hires in that department. So maybe they can overachieve a little bit. I guess we'll kind of wait and see how the rest of this season plays out. The Oakland A's are much better than expected. And a big reason why is because they're 11 and four in one run games. They're a 26 and 18 team right now that is minus 14 in run differential. So every alternate standings metric has Oakland around 500 or below. They've won a lot of close games. That will help you overachieve based on those alternate standings metrics. Whether or not this falls back, I don't know. The A's do have a pretty good bullpen yet again. But I'd be surprised if they keep winning 11 out of every 15 one-run games. So I am looking for some drop-off for them. And in fact, did play Houston here today uh, in that game against Oakland. The Seattle Mariners are better than I expected. However, they've lost 7 of 10. And I think we're getting to the point where they are a very good fade team. Their bullpen started out by performing very, very well. But now they're down to 11th in reliever FIP. They've been gradually falling in that department. Overall in FIP, they're 20th. They've had some injury concerns in the starting rotation. They have some guys in the rotation who are just not major league caliber pitchers. And offensively, this team is dead last in weighted on base average. They are a fade team to me. They're 9-5 and five in one-run games, 4-0 and oh in extra innings. But that bullpen is starting to collapse a little bit. The rotation is not good. The offense is not good. The Mariners are a team that I would expect to drop off here very, very quickly. And in fact, that process may have already started. The Cardinals, they are the team with the pitching staff that has the lowest home run to fly ball percentage at 7.7%. I mean, we're talking about a number here for the Cardinals that we have not seen since the early 20 teens. I mean, what they've done in terms of home run prevention has been absolutely outstanding. And Bush Stadium even got one of those humidors because it's been such a good pitcher's park. They wanted to try and add some offense, kind of spark some long balls there in the Arch City, but it just has not happened. And so the Cardinals have dramatically overachieved, I think, because they're not allowing home runs. And with not allowing home runs, you allow your defense to make plays and year in and year out, the Cardinals have one of the best defensive teams in baseball. So Maybe it's not overachieving. Maybe they're performing up to their expectations in light of this home run number. Part of it has to do with the lack of power in the NL Central Division. That is something that is true. But the Cardinals have gone all in with home run prevention as well. And much like Boston, we've seen it work out. And much like with Boston, this is a pretty mediocre pitching staff from a talent standpoint. But they've been able to do very well by keeping the ball in the park. Lastly here, the Giants are better than expected. And and this is not a shot at the Giants, who, you know, obviously were very good in the bubble last year and have kind of followed up with that this year. But they're 28th in relief pitcher FIP, but ninth overall in pitching FIP. So their starting staff is absolutely carrying this team on the pitching side right now. The bullpen has not been good, but they've been able to play with a lot of leads because their starting pitchers have done so well. And even though this bullpen's not good, 
Like I've talked about before, if you have a lead after five innings, you're winning that game 83% of the time. So the Giants are setting themselves up for success by playing from in front. They've got a pretty league average offense that's gotten a lot better over the last couple of weeks. So they've been able to overcome that bullpen. With that being said, 31 of their 43 games have been played against teams with losing records. They've already played Colorado nine times. They've also already played San Diego nine times on their five and four against the Padres. But they've played Colorado nine times. They've already played Miami. They've already played Seattle and Texas. So the Giants have played a pretty weak schedule as well. And in fact, they'll run into the Dodgers for the first time this season, this weekend with a series at Oracle Park, one that I'll talk about here in a little bit. So as far as the teams that are better than expected, just to sort of recap there, Boston with their pitching staff and their low home run rate, Detroit, maybe just kind of some natural ups and downs of the season. Oakland, a regression candidate to me with a minus 14 run differential, despite being eight games over 500 and 11 and four record in one run games. Seattle, they're going to fall off here soon. The Cardinals with their home run prevention, and then also the Giants. As far as some teams that have been worse than expected, and this isn't necessarily by record, but just overall here, the New York Yankees. I mean, look, they're right there for the top spot in the AL East, but their offensive numbers are very disappointing to this point in time. They're 14th and weighted on base average, even though they're a top five offense in terms of making high quality contact. I don't know what's going on with this Yankees team. I don't know what this issue is with this ball club, but they've made a lot of hard contact that they've not had anything to show for it. So that's been kind of interesting. While their pitching staff leads all of Major League Baseball in F4, the bullpen's been outstanding. They've got the lowest FIP in baseball. The starting staff's been very good. This is a team that should be out. In, this is a team that should be where Boston is. Out in front of this division, you know, maybe putting a little bit of distance in the race at that. But they were only 11-14 and 14 against the AL East here so far. I know there have been a couple injuries here and there, but everybody deals with that. The Yankees just do not profile as a league average offense, but that's basically what they've been. So we'll see how quickly that sees some positive regression for them as we go forward. Uh, it goes without saying, but the Twins, you know, uh, much worse than I expected. A massive disappointment here. So far this season, they're 0-7 in extra innings. They're 5-9 and in one-run games. They're 4-15 and against teams 500 or better. They are a better team than this. Now, I don't know when it shows up, but the Twins will be a team that goes on a run at some point. And I don't know if I want to try to predict when that run is coming or just kind of go along for the ride once it starts. But this is a team that's minus 4 in Pythagorean win-loss, minus 5 in base runs, So according to their base runs record, they should have five more wins than they do. That will positively regress at some point. I don't know when, but this Twins team is definitely better than what we've seen here so far. However, I will talk about them at the tail end of the show here once again. You know, I really expected better from the Los Angeles Angels. I expected some leaps on the pitching side. We haven't gotten them. However, they have a 522 ERA as a team with a 429 FIP. So there have been sequencing issues. They have not stranded enough runners. There have been defensive issues with this team. You got a couple of guys in Dylan Bundy and Andrew Heaney with much higher ERAs than their FIPs. Bundy's ERA is almost two runs higher than his FIP because he just hasn't had any luck whatsoever getting out of innings with two outs. The Angels are an underachiever right now. They should be better than they are. 
it's hard to do without Mike Trout, but I kind of wonder if they are a play on team right now, if this pitching staff experiences some of that positive regression that I do see coming for them. The Braves are another obvious one here too, much like the twins. You know, this offense is very good, but this pitching staff, they've had issues. You know, they've had some injury issues in the rotation. Now, Huascari Noah is out. Max Fried was out. Mike Soroka still not back yet. They've had some big time rotation issues, but the biggest thing for them is that early on in the season, their bullpen was terrible. Now it's gotten a lot better here of late. They did have a blow up on Sunday, but other than that, they've been pitching pretty well overall. That's a key thing for the Braves right now because they're not getting a lot of length from their starting pitching. The bullpen has gotten better. The offense is starting to hum a little bit. I do think the Braves are in line to go on a bit of a run here and maybe uh, yesterday's walk-off win over the Mets will kind of be the catalyst for that. Then you look at the Dodgers here, and it's hard to say that a 25 and 18, 18 team has been disappointing, has been worse than expected. But the biggest thing for the Dodgers here is that they're four and 11 in one-run games and one and six in extra inning games. So they should absolutely positively be better than they are. They've lost a lot of close games, and that brings me to today's sabermetric stat of the show which is third order win percentage. Now you used to be able to find this over at baseball prospectus, but they effed up their site so much that you can't find it anymore. Clay Davenport's site does have this, this Google search third order win percentage MLB. I think Davenport's the second or third uh, search result that you're going to find, but third order win percentage is another one of those adjusted standings metrics that looks at a lot of underlying factors. One of them being strength of schedule. So I like to look a lot at these adjusted standings metrics because what happens and what's supposed to happen is going to be different from time to time. And so when you look at base runs or Pythagorean win loss, you can look at teams that, you know, have underachieved or overachieved and kind of look to play on them a little bit. Third order win percentage takes it a step farther because Pythagorean win loss is a alternate standings metric based on run differential. Base runs removes the context and the sequencing takes all of the individual outcomes, puts them into a hopper, spits out a run differential, and then uses Pythagorean win-loss. Third-order win percentage has some elements of that to it in terms of run differential, but looks at other underlying factors, including strength of schedule. So a few noticeable outliers here at this point in time. The Indians are 23 and 18, but according to third-order win percentage, should be about 19 and a half and 21 and a half. So You can round that either way that you want to, but the Indians have effectively overachieved by three or four games here based on third order win percentage for this season. A much bigger one, the A's. Like I talked about, negative run differential, Pythagorean win loss doesn't like them, base runs doesn't like them, third order win percentage doesn't like them either. 26 and 18, but third order win percentage has 21.6 and 22.4. So they're an overachiever by about five or six games here so far this season, four or five games, excuse me, according to third order win percentage. And the Dodgers, 25 and 18, but they're more like a 29 and 14 team. And again, a big part of that, how they've done here in one run games, also in extra innings. So they've had some bullpen issues to say the least, but this is a team that will not remain four and 11 in one run games. Water will find its level with them. They will start winning more close games. They are a positive regression team in a lot of ways here. All right, so as we take a look at some line movements, dating back to Tuesday, 
the Braves took money really in all three games in that series against the Mets. The Braves are priced very high right now. They're almost priced at the top of the market, despite being a team with a losing record, just because everybody is seeing what I'm seeing. This is a team that should be better. This is a team where the offense is very good. The pitching staff, at least the bullpen coming around a little bit. I would expect the Mets to get, or excuse me, the Braves to continue to be priced very high out there in the marketplace, much like they are here today against Pittsburgh, and much like they will be all weekend against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Speaking of Pittsburgh, JT Brubaker took money on Tuesday. That was the Pirates against the Cardinals and John Gant. There's a lot of anti-John Gant sentiment out there in the marketplace. I agree with it, to be totally honest with you. I probably would have had a piece of Brubaker on Tuesday had I not been flying home from Vegas. Uh, the Cardinals did win that game, so the money on that game was wrong. But this is something we will continue to see. Money against Gant, money on Brubaker, lather, rinse, repeat. Julio Urias and Blake Snell, both taking money in their respective games against the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. Rockies road fade, you know, elite upside guys taking money. These are all the same things that we're used to seeing out there in the marketplace. One thing I thought was interesting were the prices for the Brave or for the Blue Jays series here against the Red Sox. You know, Toronto was priced pretty high throughout this series in that minus 130 range for just about every game. Even though Boston, the best offense in baseball, one of the better records in baseball, the Blue Jays offense has come around and is performing at a very high level right now. But I thought that was interesting to see where those prices were. Now, we did see a little bit of Boston money on Tuesday. That was Eduardo Rodriguez against Hunjin Ryu. But for the most part, I thought it was really interesting to see Toronto opening in that minus 130 range there against Boston, where, you know, it seems like Boston just doesn't have the benefit of the doubt out there in the marketplace. So maybe Boston is something of a buy low team right now if they're able to kind of sustain what they've been doing here. On Wednesday, we saw Joe Musgrove money against the Rockies. Not a surprise. Ace money against a bad team. Rockies road fade, so on and so forth. You'll continue to see this. Kevin Gaussman took money for the Giants against Wade Miley and the Reds. Not a big surprise there. There's a very large anti-Wade Miley crowd out there in the market that's been around for several years now. Uh, We saw that kind of come through on Wednesday there. Once again, big Braves money on Wednesday. That was kind of the story of that series against the Mets. Max Scherzer, about a 25, 30 cent line move in that one against Jake Arrieta and the Cubs. So not a big surprise there either with Scherzer pitching very well this season. And also it's very easy to fade Jake Arrieta and something you should probably be doing pretty regularly. Jack Flaherty took money for the Cardinals against the Buccos on Wednesday. That was Trevor Cahill. Look, I could tell you this a million times. Hopefully it sinks in. Brubaker takes money. Tyler Anderson sometimes takes money. Everybody else gets bet against for Pittsburgh. That's just kind of the way that their line movements go. You know, I was really surprised on Wednesday to see money come in against Lucas Giolito and the White Sox in that game against the Twins and Matt Shoemaker. Now, yes, the Twins are a positive regression team, and I do think to a degree the White Sox are a negative regression team. But Giolito is probably not the guy that I would look to fade. Although that being said, I mean, Rodon's been great. Dylan Cease has even been good. Uh, Lance Lynn's been solid. Giolito's been actually kind of the guy sort of uh, not contributing as much for the White Sox. But I thought it was really interesting to see Minnesota money in that game. White Sox did win two to one. So Shoemaker pitched well, but not as well as Giolito and the White Sox bullpen. Always intriguing to me when I see line moves that I don't really expect 
and that was one of them there. The Indians took money against the Angels both on Wednesday, or both on Tuesday, excuse me, and on Wednesday. There's been an adjustment to the Angels lines with Mike Trout out. What about a 10 to 15 cent move in both of those games on Tuesday and Wednesday? So maybe the market's suggesting that the adjustment to Trout hasn't been big enough, or it could have been a little bit of love for the Indians. I'd like to think it's more the former than the latter. So a big fade of Tarek Skubal yet again for the Tigers. That was against the Mariners, and Detroit did win that game. But Tarek Skubal's been bet against a lot this season. And like I've talked about before, the modeling crowd has substantial influence in this market, and they must grade Tarek Skubal really, really poorly because he's been getting bet against even in big underdog roles. Got bet against here in this one with Logan Gilbert on the mound for the Mariners. And of course, the Tigers won that game anyway. So... That's been interesting to me to see Scooble bet against to the degree that he has. I don't think that changes anytime soon. So that'd be something for you to keep in mind there. Lastly, Corbin Burns took money for the Brewers against Brad Keller and the Royals, but the Brewers not playing particularly well right now. Burns recently on the IL. He wasn't great yesterday and the Royals did pick up that win on Thursday. Some day games, uh, Tyler Mayo and the Reds, they started taking some money right before first pitch against the Giants Seeing some money tonight on Miami and Sandy Alcantara. That's against Vince Velasquez and the Phillies. Braves once again taking money, as I mentioned, with a fade of the Pirates and Will Crow. And the Rangers taking quite a bit of money for their matinee down in Arlington with Dane Dunning on the bump against Domingo Herman. Pick for Thursday. I liked a couple of day games, like the under four and a half. It's mostly four now in the market for Rangers Yankees. Uh, also took a look at Houston this afternoon. But for a play that you might get to by the time you hear the show, that's the Marlins. Sandy Alcantara going up against Vince Velasquez. Alcantara much better in the contact metric department. Also, the total of eight implies a lower scoring game. Marlins, much better bullpen between the two teams. So I'll take Miami in that one tonight against Philadelphia. All right, let's wrap this up by talking about five series to preview here for the weekend ahead. And we start with the Twins and Indians. Now, the Twins don't have any pitchers listed for this series by day. It's all to be determined. They'll get Tristan McKenzie, Shane Bieber, and Sam Hentges for the Indians. Bieber has not been particularly sharp lately. That's not why I want to talk about this series. So the Twins play the White Sox, right? You got the blowout, you know, the the home run, all the antics after that, all the bullshit, all those kinds of things. So the Twins host the White Sox early in the week. And then they fly to Anaheim to play a doubleheader today and then fly back east to take on the Indians. So a horrible spot on Friday night here for Minnesota. Tristan McKenzie has not pitched particularly well, so we'll see what that price looks like. We'll also see who's starting for the Twins, but from a spot standpoint, Friday night looks pretty good for the Indians, so we'll see what they're able to do in that one. Taking a look at the Brewers and the Reds, Adrian Hauser and Jeff Hoffman on Friday. Brett Anderson, Sonny Gray, Saturday, uh, Freddie Peralta, and Luis Castillo on Sunday. The Reds avoiding Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. So I'm sure they're happy about that. But as you look at this series here, Adrian Hauser, extreme ground ball guy. Brett Anderson and Sonny Gray, extreme ground ball guys. Luis Castillo, when he's going well, is an extreme ground ball guy. So lots of ground ball starters in this series. I think it's particularly interesting because It's warming up now in Cincinnati. We've actually had great weather uh, in the Buckeye State here of late. But when it warms up, Great American Ballpark plays small. I mean, it was Great American Small Park 
colloquially for a long time. So this is one of those things to me where I'm curious to see what these totals look like because you've got a lot of ground ball guys on the mound, but also the Reds, one of the best home offenses in baseball. It's warming up. It's going to be hot. Could be kind of a tough series to handicap there down on the shores of the Ohio River. So I'm not sure I'll be too involved, but I did want to talk about that on today's show to be sure. Next series here, the Rays and the Jays. Tyler Glass now takes on to be determined on Friday. Shane McClanahan and Robbie Ray on Saturday. Josh Fleming, Hunjin Ryu on Sunday. We could see an opener in that one for Fleming. And we absolutely could see an opener on Monday for Ryan Yarbrough against Ross Stripling. Yarbrough struggling once again in his last start against the Orioles. We got the win in that one thanks to the Rays offense, but Yarbrough did not pitch well yet again in that one. Robbie Ray here on Friday or on a Saturday night, he's only walked two guys in his last 122 batters faced, which is just simply astonishing for a guy like Robbie Ray. He's also allowed 10 home runs. So Ray is pitching to a lot more contact now, throwing a lot more fastballs, fewer sliders and curveballs and changeups, a lot of fastballs for him. So he's not walking guys, but he's also giving up a lot of violent contact and home runs. So that's kind of a development worth watching. And of course, another development worth watching here. Again, Ryan Yarbrough, got to get better at some point. But when, I don't really know the answer to that question. Hopefully as an opener on Monday, because as a straight starter, he's not pitched well here so far, but he's been pretty good following the opener. I have to think Tampa Bay tries to set one of those up here for Monday. As I mentioned, the Dodgers and the Giants play for the first time this weekend. Trevor Bauer, Alex Wood, Walker Bueller, and to be determined, and then Julio Urias, and Anthony DeSclafani. First meeting of the season for these two teams, Bauer, Bueller, and Urias is not who you want to be facing if you're the Giants here. The Dodgers, I've talked about this a little bit, they seem disengaged. They don't seem fully invested in this season. They have kind of picked it up here a little bit of late. A series like this should get them engaged, should get them going. They have the upper hand with the starting pitchers, even though Wood and Scafani, two very solid guys. The Giants' bullpen has been bad. If this comes down to a bullpen battle, these are two bad bullpens, so maybe live betting opportunities or something like that. The Dodgers, again, as I mentioned, they've not performed well in one-run games. We'll have low totals here based on the pitching staffs. So should be fun to look at these prices. I just don't know if we'll get a whole lot of actionable things coming out of that series. Finally, Cubs and Cardinals here. Kyle Hendricks, Carlos Martinez, Both guys struggling quite a bit with command and control this season. Maybe an over in that game, although those are tough to play at Bush Stadium. Adbert Alzali and Adam Wainwright on Saturday, and then Kyle Davies and Kwang Hyung Kim on Sunday. I always talk about the Sunday night baseball game just to see if there are any angles to consider coming out of it. The Cubs are off. The Cardinals head to the south side to take on the White Sox. But I remember, and I... I'm going to have to try and look this up here because I don't remember if it was with the Cubs or with the Cardinals. I'm pretty sure it was with the Cardinals in series following or in games immediately following a series against the Cubs. The Cardinals struggled. I'm pretty sure it was them. So that's something I'll have to take a look at. Something I may note in my article for Monday uh, over at ATS.io, but Bush stadium, once again, playing very big, the Cardinals not allowing home runs. The Cubs are striking out a lot. The Cubs have a 298 Babbitt, but still one of the lower batting averages in baseball. So they're struggling in that department. I don't know if they get a lot off of the Cardinals pitching staff here in this series. Maybe off of Martinez on Friday, as I mentioned. 
but Wainwright and Kim could both be pretty good on Saturday and Sunday. So I have to see what those prices look like for this weekend. But those are my thoughts on that Cubs and Cardinals series. Covered a lot of ground here. Once again, one of my longer shows of late here on the betters box. Email me skating tripods at gmail.com to get on the list for the show notes. And as I said, I will send out Monday's notes with today's email. I'll be back again on Monday with another edition of the betters box. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.